This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Hi and welcome to the Alcoholics Anonymous radio show here on Plains FM 96.9. My name is Louise and I'm an alcoholic. The purpose of this show is to increase public awareness of Alcoholics Anonymous as an effective means of recovery from the disease of alcoholism. Our show has two parts. First we'll talk a bit about alcoholism, what it is and what AA can do to help. Then we'll interview a recovering alcoholic who is an active member of AA. I'm now going to ask our guest to read the AA preamble, which is read at the start of every AA meeting. My name's Trudy, I'm an alcoholic. The AA preamble. Alcoholics Anonymous is a fellowship of men and women who share their experience, strength and hope with each other that they may solve their common problem and help others to recover from alcoholism. The only requirement for membership is a desire to stop drinking. There are no dues or fees for AA membership. We are self-supporting through our own contributions. AA is not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organisation or institution. does not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorses nor opposes any causes. Our primary purpose is to stay sober and help other alcoholics to achieve sobriety. Thanks, Trudy. So what is alcoholism? Alcoholism is a disease, not a disgrace. There's no shame in having an illness or a disease. An unusual feature of this disease is that it will do whatever it can to convince you that you do not have it. However, once it has a hold of you, the progression of symptoms is like the classic disease model and the victim is as helpless as a sufferer of cancer. If you are an alcoholic, you're at the beginning of a long road that usually ends in one of three places, prisons, institutions or death. If you think this sounds dramatic, we can assure you that our collective experience has shown this to be true. The challenge is to convince the alcoholic to admit that they need help and become willing to seek it. Denial is a major symptom of alcoholism. The alcoholic is often the last one to recognise it and admit that they have it. Our definition of alcoholism is it is an allergy of the body coupled with an obsession of the mind. The allergy is the physical aspect of the disease. After having the first drink, the phenomenon of craving develops and we lose control over when we will stop drinking. The old saying is, one is too many and a thousand is never enough. And yet, because of the obsession of the mind, the mental aspect of the disease, the alcoholic is compelled to keep picking up the first drink. And this is what makes us powerless. We often hear from sober alcoholics that many doubted whether life could be fun without alcohol. Fortunately, those same people report that their lives have improved dramatically since they became sober. The 12-step program of recovery, which is discussed at meetings and which is outlined in the Alcoholics Anonymous Big Book, is how we get sober and maintain our sobriety one day at a time. This program has a proven track record of helping otherwise hopeless alcoholics to achieve long-term sobriety and recovery. It has taught us how to enjoy life sober. 
Okay, for anyone who's just joined us, you're listening to the Alcoholics Anonymous radio show here on Plains FM 96.9, and we're just about to interview an AA member who's going to share their experience with alcoholism. So let's meet our guest. Welcome to the show, Trudy. If you'd just like to tell us a little bit more about who you are, how old are you? I'm 46. <laughs> and how long have you been sober? For 10 years. Oh, wow. That's amazing. And um, you work? Yes, I do. I work part-time. Excellent. And family? Yes, I have a beautiful almost six-year-old. Wow. That's beautiful. And you are from Christchurch? Not originally, no. I originally came from Tauranga. Mm-hmm. And I've been down here for more than 20 years. Wonderful. Mm, excellent. So so let's talk a little bit about, um, you know, when you started drinking and uh, and what did it do for you? All right. So I was 14 when I started drinking. Mm-hmm. And, um, well, my first drink anyway. It was, a, it was actually at school and we took rocket fuel. And I think <laughs> I drank alcoholically from that time on. Um, there were, you know, it was, it was messy and ugly right from the get go. Um, and, and how did, when you had that first sort of drink, how did it make you feel? Yeah, it was great. Cause I was just, uh, we were all in the changing rooms, you know, <laughs> swallowing it effect, you know, the effect of warm and fuzzy and excited mm. and then going back to class and obviously getting into quite a lot of trouble. But, um, but right from that get go, I drank the same all the time. I drank to the bottom of the bottle all of the time. And so that was your, you know, through most of your teens, it was the same drinking socially with friends? No, not typically. Through my teens and my 20s, I didn't always do that. Mm. Um, I was typically a binge drinker. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, often it did get messy and out of out of control, but sometimes it didn't. And so, you know, there were, there were a multitude of events and um, experiences that were as a result of drinking. Mm. So it wasn't a daily drinking, but when you did drink, it went to the extreme. Absolutely. And yeah. okay. And so as you progressed through your late teens into your early 20s, you sort of said it was around the binge drinking. Uh, at what point or or at any point did it change? Um, I think, well, I did I did drink the same all of, almost all of the time. And so, you know, socially it feels like people would accept it mm-hmm. and that that's the way life was. You know, we just fitted into society. All of my friends did it. Hindsight suggests that all of my friends never drank like me. <laughs> but um, We now know. We now know, <laughs> yeah. So, so, so societally, I thought that it was the right thing to do and everybody was doing the same as me, which in fact wasn't true. But um, yeah, it, it often got messy and, and ugly and it often was, you know, there were yeah, lots of messy situations. And so I guess that brings me on to, um, you know, two things, consequences, um, you know, lost jobs, relationships, trouble with the law. And if so, did you think maybe this isn't normal and I need to stop? Yeah. So I was about 37 when I came in. And prior to that, uh, was you know was accepted in the workplace. We drank at lunchtime. We drank in the wow. evenings. We drank all of the time, and so at that point, I still didn't think I had a problem. Mm-hmm. And I got my first drink drive conviction in two thousand and nine, and I just had my my license back for three months. 
and, and, and getting that conviction, how did that make you feel mentally and emotionally? I, I was mortified going to court, that experience of going into court and facing what I'd done and telling my colleagues and friends mm. and family. Mm. You know, at that point, um, at that point, I really, and it's, again, it's, 2020 vision I looked back on it and it was like I didn't realize that there was a problem Mm. I just was doing what I thought everyone was doing but Mm. I was losing keys I was locking myself out of houses I was Mm -hmm. losing handbags and Mm -hmm. um you know it was I remember there was a trip I was going overseas and I lost my passport on a Thursday Mm. night I didn't lose it I'd put it away safely um (laughs) and so I was finishing my job to go overseas for five or six weeks and I'd lost my some foreign currency and my passport. So on the Friday, instead of finishing up my job, I had to go into immigration and get um, a new passport, emergency passport. <laughs> and it's, all, it's these little things that don't happen to normal people. Exactly. <laughs> so that's the first drink drive conviction, yep, mortified. Second one I'd, was, was within three months. I had my licence back for three months. and. Right. Um, and I didn't do it just a little bit. The first time I was two times over the limit. The second time I was three times over the mm-hmm. limit. And at that point, um, I had community service, which I was privileged to do at Ronald McDonald House. Mm. I had um, probation and I had my car, which I'd literally just paid for, taken off me. Mm. And um, And... As a result of that, in fact, I wasn't so mortified going to court the next time because I knew what was in front of me. And that scared me a little bit too because I was like, oh, you know, there was a guy there going, oh, I'm on my ninth charge. And I'm like, that's <laughs> great for you. But for me, um, that wasn't so great. Mm. So my probation officer suggested that I try to stop drinking and come to AA. And was at that, that point. Was that a surprise to hear that? Yeah, 100%. I, at that point, was like, I didn't have any idea about Alcoholics Anonymous. I didn't think I was an alcoholic. You know, for me, that was someone in a trench coat with a brown paper Mm -hmm. bag. So my perception of AA was, um, I had no clue. I had no clue of what it was about and what it could mean for me. Um, So I knew that there was a problem. And I, as a result of the second drink drive conviction, I had to do, you know, I had to write to NZTA to get my license Mm -hmm. back. I had to um, do some court-ordered mm. counselling and things like that. Uh, and as a result of that, um, as well as my own self-will, I guess, I wanted to something to change. Sure. And um, and my probation officer suggested AA. So that's when and I walked so that, in the doors. That was your first introduction. Mm. And so would you describe that as what we often call our rock bottom? Yeah, for me, that was definitely my rock that bottom. That was, yeah. yeah. So tell us about your first meeting. What was it like and, and what were the people the like I had a couple of different experiences so I was riding my bike and um <laughs> and my first meeting was actually a men's meeting in Sprayden or in around there and um and so I was mortified because of course I couldn't <laughs> attend the meeting and I'd, it'd taken me all of my courage to go on my bike to walk into a men's meeting and suggest that's probably not the right place for me to be <laughs> um but anyway a week later I got back to the appropriate meeting and everyone was so so lovely so welcoming so kind I met a woman who I used to drink with, and so she was a month longer sober than me, and it was just a a really cool experience. And at that point, I just, I went home actually and finished a bottle of Baileys, and and at that point I decided I'd just give it a crack and do what people suggested. And and, and what a beautiful experience, the gifts of sobriety, um, and I guess, uh, you know, we talk about this, and we'll talk a bit more about it in a little bit, but... 
our higher power working for us by seeing someone you knew. 100%. And yeah. it happened again six months later. You know, there's yeah. someone else came in the rooms and I was like, what are you doing here? And they're like, same as you. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So very, very cool place to be. And so, you know, the suggested things that you talk about, um, you know, obviously we have um, some wonderful literature, the big book, um, but there's, you know, various other things, sponsorship. How how important has that been for you? Yeah, it's been really important. Um, I think I was very much, or I am very much, um, a self-will kind of girl. <laughs> so I think I like to do things on my own. I've grown up with a philosophy that I've never done what my parents suggested or asked of me I've wanted to be a rebel if you told me I couldn't I would you know if you suggested that I couldn't do something I will do everything in my power to try and do prove you wrong you know do the opposite of what you suggest so it's quite um, remarkable to come in and be able to be told that there are no don'ts the only suggestion is to not pick up a drink Mm. everything else you know can be worked around and found a way around and People do it a multitude of different ways. I've done it by the guidance of a sponsor and the guidance mm. of the big book. Mm. So that's what's worked for me. And, I mean, that's not always true for other people, but that's what's worked for me. So sure. sponsorship has been incredible. Just being able to pick up the phone to someone who's lived it, to share my experiences, my drinking stories, of things that I never thought I'd share with anybody mm. that I would take to my grave, that I've been able to verbalise and put you know, a name to it. Um and now I can laugh about it. I used to sit in meetings and I used to think, how can you be laughing about wet pants and embarrassing mm-hmm. situations? But I can understand now that it's it's actually a really um, a massive relief to be able to share that experience with someone else and for them to say, I did something similar and um, just to understand you and appreciate where you're coming from. And to relate. Mm-hmm. To relate and, and I'm not the only one. Yeah. And I don't have to do it alone. And... Um, Service, that's Service. been a big part. Has that been a big part of your recovery? Yes. I was six months sober when I was asked to become the um, men's prison coordinator. Wow. Which was a little bit controversial mm. because <laughs> um, whilst I wasn't visiting the men's prison, it was simply a coordination role. Sure. And so people were um, obviously looking for others to do service. And so I put my hand up and did some service for the men's prison and then from there on just other roles that I've been able to hold whether it's been from literature um, opening beginners I remember quite early on it might have been even my my first or second Christmas and I opened and it was the most wonderful day to go to the beach during the day to open the meeting at night for mm. other people and um, mm. they're just really cool experiences from doing service and there are some quite brave acts of service is that something you would have done in your drinking days no I don't think I would have even imagined sharing and opening my mouth in front of people in the early days I found it quite difficult you know sort of three months in and I was sharing my story and I didn't even understand myself let alone Mm. be able to Mm. verbalize and share it with a room so um yeah, I think that's for sure. Quite for remarkable. Sure. So, what does your sobriety? You know, you're ten years sober. So, what does your sobriety look like today? And what are some of the things you do to ensure and maintain, like we say, our recovery, sobriety, and recovery? Okay, so putting down the drink is, I guess, the first part. That was that was for me. That was relatively easy. Um, learning the deeper emotional 
um, traits of myself or the character defects that we talk about, mm-hmm. which, you know, the resentments that I carry, mm. the things that trigger me, I think that's all much, much deeper. And still today, um, I still try to do steps 10, 11, 12, you know, helping other people where I can mm-hmm. um, and putting this program into my daily life mm. in, in all aspects of in my life. In all of our affairs. Yeah. So whether that's yeah work, home, other people, my relationships with my family have improved dramatically. Um, so yeah, it's very very cool. And um, look, we touched on briefly, um, you know, AA being what we call a spiritual program, not a religious program. What was that like for you at the start? Uh, I didn't find that too much of a stretch. Um, for me, I guess going from step one to step two, you know, the um, unmanageability and all that sort of stuff, because I thought that my life was manageable. Um, so getting mm. my head around that probably was a, quite a big challenge early on. Um, uh, but, yeah, trusting in a power greater than me, you know, I um, my my biggest gift is my daughter, who mm. I couldn't have children. Mm. And so I was three years sober. I never wanted children. I was far too selfish and self-centered, and I didn't have time for children. I was out drinking and partying and staying home and drinking and partying. Mm-hmm. And um, so, yeah, about three years sober, and I desperately wanted a child, and I was going to do it on my own. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and, in fact, my sponsor went through it with me, and um, so that was a pretty cool experience. But it was also devastating. And so I'd grieved, and then I set up a new business and... Um, tried to find my way with a new business instead of a child and family and life looked like it looked. And then, um, so in terms of a higher power, that for me is the absolute ultimate sure. um, experience of a higher power where I never thought that was going to happen for me. So. No. And um, and today, um, you, know, uh, you know, first things first, um, you know, how how do you incorporate that into your daily life, you know, in the spiritual aspect and the power greater than ourselves. Yeah, so I, it's pretty pretty simple for me today and I don't do it perfectly. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. I started when, when I started this whole journey, I kept it really simple, which was thanking God for a sober day mm. and then waking up in the morning and asking for a sober day. Mm. So um, that was a really simple start of it. And then uh, the literature, Daily Reflections, was a really nice place for me to start as well. We're daily just reading that, reading the literature daily, and asking a higher power, which whatever it looks like, I still don't know what that is today, mm. um, for guidance. And I can still get off track, and I can still be not spiritual. You know, I could go a day or two and not do the readings, and find that I'm not travelling so well. Um, <clears throat> but it's it's keeping that conscious contact, going to meetings, talking to a sponsor, those sort of things that that help me on a daily basis. And the, and you've just asked uh, you know answered my next question around some of the things you do to help cope with difficulties. Yeah, so I think talking to a sponsor and I find that I don't do that perfectly because mm. when I'm traveling really well and everything's going great, <laughs> I a I a I don't think I'm an alcoholic and b I think um, I don't need meetings and I don't need to talk to someone else. And so you know, I try to keep uh, what's consistent and what's worked, which is uh, at the moment for me, two meetings a week with a busy schedule and trying to speak to my sponsor once a week. And I still don't do that perfectly either. So, sure. um, yeah, it's getting out of my own way, trying to put my ego aside 
acknowledging and actually being honest about what is really going on for me on on a different level or a deeper level and then um and being being realistic about it doing that step 10 which is taking an inventory at night where um you know have i been fearful or resentful or mm. selfish in any ways and um and actually verbalizing that and being honest about it mm. and i really liked what you touched on at the start about you know, almost the disease is so cunning and baffling and powerful that it tricks us to believe I'm not an alcoholic. Mm. And and so you ha- on a daily basis, it's it's going through that process of I am powerless, mm. and there you know I can be restored to sanity, and these are the things I have to do, which don't always come easy. Yeah, yeah. And um, so, you know, how would you describe your life today? Uh, pretty good. Pretty good. You know, putting down the alcohol, I thought my life was going to be boring. And for a time it was because for a period of time, I was one month sober when I bought a little flat and I really had nothing. I literally just went to work, came home. You know, when I celebrated, I celebrated with a bottle of LMP instead of a bottle of bubbly and it was really just changing everything, changing my playmates, mm-hmm. changing everything about what I did. And um, and I think it's about trying to keep it simple. But now my life is so full. I have so many friends to catch up with. Mm. I have um, lots and lots of things that I do and in and, and my meetings and my work and my daughter. And so life is really full. But I also still keep it really simple, mm. you know, um, somebody mentioned it at a meeting the other day about the halts, hungry, angry, lonely, tired. Mm. And when we take care of those things, when I'm hungry, I eat. When I'm angry, I talk to somebody. When I'm lonely, I can ring someone. Um, talking, I think, has obviously helped me a long way through. Mm. And when I'm tired, I go to bed. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, sometimes I need to go to bed at seven thirty, eight mm-hmm. o'clock just <laughs> to call that day done, you know? Yeah. Um, but, but, yeah, it's it's remarkable. Mm. Uh, Trudy, what would you recommend, or, or what, you know, what would you suggest for any listeners that think they may have a drinking problem? What are some of the things they could ask themselves? Um, I think, have you had enough? Mm. <laughs> are you ready to stop? Do you want to change your life? Um, and is it a problem for you? Mm. Is your life unmanageable? Mm. You know, are you getting into difficulties that you never thought you would? Are you doing, you know, taking actions that you never thought you would? Mm. And that's wonderful advice. Well, Trudy, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your story with us. No worries. So for our listeners, if you've related to anything that you've heard or would like some more information about Alcoholics Anonymous, you can look us up on the web at www.aa.org.nz or call us on 0800 AA Works. There are over 60 meetings a week in Canterbury, so it's likely there's one near you. Join us next week to hear from more AA members sharing their experiences. Our show airs every Monday at 5.30pm on Plains FM and repeats on Wednesday at 12.30pm. You can also find podcasts of our past shows on the Plains FM website at plainsfm.org.nz or you can download, subscribe and listen to podcasts on iTunes and Spotify. That brings us to the end of the show. Thank you for listening and remember, if you want to drink, that's your business. But if you want to stop, we can help. You don't have to do it alone.
We will now close the show with the serenity prayer as we do in every AA meeting. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. You've been listening to the Alcoholics Anonymous radio show on Plains FM 96.9.